At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Last Sunday, we began a series called The Christmas Carols, knowing the hope of Christmas past, present, and future. And all month long here at Wildwood, we're looking at the meaning of the Christmas carols that we sing every year um, to find out how they point us towards that hope that we have in Jesus. And last week, we began by looking at the song Joy to the World and specifically into Psalm 98, um, which the song was based on. And today, we're going to continue our study by looking at O Come, All Ye Faithful. We're going to look at that song together. Um, But before we do that, I want to just... point your eyes towards a Christmas album that was just released this year. You know, every year there are more albums, Christmas albums that are released, and and this year is no different. And one of the albums that was released was by Eric Clapton, and this is his first ever Christmas album. And, you know, the, the, the album has, you know, 14 to 16 songs. I don't remember exactly, but there's, there's a particular track, the 12th track. So I don't even know that that matters anymore. It's not like you're going to go buy the CD. Maybe if you're a hipster, you get the vinyl, whatever. But if you go and get that album in whatever way that you did, and you went to the 12th song in that list, in that playlist, what you'd find is this really amazing new song called Silent Night. Um, Have you ever heard of that song? Yeah, it's an amazing new song released right here in 2018. Now, the savvy listener is wondering if I'm crazy because Silent Night is not a new song. As a matter of fact, Silent Night this year is celebrating its 200th anniversary as a song. So in no way is Eric Clapton's rendition of Silent Night a new song. It is merely a release of an old song in a new time. Now, that's an important distinction for us to remember, because when we think about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, we are conditioned and maybe even tempted to think that Jesus began in Bethlehem, that somehow that was the beginning of his existence, But what we see inside of Scripture is that Jesus' birth was not the beginning of his existence, but it was merely the release of a new song that was eternal in origin. In other words, Jesus did not begin to exist in Bethlehem. He had existed eternally as the Son of God, but he merely was released in a new way for us to come to know God when he was born in Bethlehem. And this morning, we are going to look at that truth as it's revealed to us in the New Testament in John chapter 1. But before we look at it in John 1, I I want us to to think for a moment about that great Christmas carol, O Come All Ye Faithful. Because it's in this Christmas carol, in the third verse, that we really see a, a connection with John 1. So as we begin our time, I want to read for us the lyrics to O Come All Ye Faithful. Again, I I said this last week, we will have an opportunity to sing this before we leave today, I promise. Um, But I will not sing it for you now. I will merely read the words of O Come All Ye Faithful. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. 
Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Sing all ye citizens in heaven above. Glory to God, glory in the highest. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Now, inside of the the third verse of that song, we we have a very interesting phrase that that is mentioned. And it's that phrase, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Really, poses for us the question, who is the Word? And and what is going on as that phrase is mentioned? Well, we find the biblical anchor to that phrase that we've sung every Christmas. We find the biblical anchor to that phrase inside of John's gospel in the first chapter. And I want to read for us now John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 9 through 14 of chapter 1. And in those two sections of chapter 1 of John's gospel, we will find a little more about who the Word is. John 1 says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, friends, in these few verses from John 1 and connecting back to our hymn today, O Come All Ye Faithful, I want to make a couple of points in our time together. The first thing I want us to do is I want us to really ask the question, who is the Word? Inside of the verses I just read, the the Word is introduced to us. Well, who is the Word? Is it merely something that is spoken, or is it a personality? Is it a someone? Well, what do we find out about who the Word is from John 1? The first thing that we find out about the Word is that the Word is eternal. The Word is eternal. We see this right in the beginning of verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, in the time that we know of as the beginning of all things, the Word already was. Athanasius would say of this that there never was a time when the Word wasn't. It's like a riddle of some kind, isn't it? But it's very beautifully stated. We think of something being eternal, it means that there was never a point in time when when that thing did not exist. And the only thing that is eternal is God himself. And and what we see right here inside of this passage is that 
In the time that was the beginning, the Word already was. The Word is eternal. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. In the time that we know of as the beginning, he already was there. Now, John was somebody who grew up Jewish. And because John grew up Jewish, he would use Jewish idioms when he would speak. And one of the things that Jewish people would do in this time is they would refer to an entire book of the Bible based on its opening line, its opening words. So when, when John says, in the beginning was the word, the words in the beginning begin which book of the Bible? The book of Genesis. And so what is being said here is that at the time that was the beginning, all the way back in the book of Genesis, in the very first book, the very first verse, when we see the story begin all the way back over here, guess what? Whoever the word is already was. The Word is eternal. What else do we learn about the Word? Well, we learn that the Word is God. Not just some idea, not just something that, that left the mouth of an entity, but, but had a personality, had something about Him. It was a, it was a person. It was, it was God. The Word was God, is what verse 1 tells us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That makes sense because the only thing eternal is God. And so at the very beginning, God already was. That's what this passage begins to to talk about. Not only does it talk about the Word being eternal and the Word being God, but also that the Word was the Creator. The Word was the Creator. Verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, whatever we know of in the physical world was created through the agency of the Word of God. Now, we see that back in Genesis 1 where God would speak and say, let there be light, and there was light. And He would speak and say, let there... In one sense, it was the, what God spoke, but this seems like it's it's even more because it's not just what he spoke, but it's who God is. There was God creating in the very beginning. All things were created through the agency of his word. The book of Colossians will echo a, a similar thought about the time of creation in Colossians chapter 1 when the apostle Paul writes and says this about the word. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, verse 15. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It makes sense that the eternal God is also the creator of all things. But he's also defined here as the Word. Well, what else do we find out about the Word? Not only is He the eternal God who's the Creator, but also in Him was life, verse 4. In Him was life. Makes sense, right? The one who created it would know how to live it. The one who created all things would know how to best navigate the planet that was created here, would understand the ins and the outs, would know the paths to blessing and abundance. It says here that The Word was life. Not only does it say that the Word was life, but also 
that that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The idea of, of light in the Bible was a symbol of God's presence with his people. It also was a revelation of something. And so when John here talks about the word being the light of men, he's saying that there is the presence of God among his people is demonstrated through the word. Not only that, but there's a revelation that comes when God is present among his people that lets us know more about who we are and who God is. And whatever this word is and whatever this light is, it's more powerful than anything else we know. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's saying that there, there is no close fight between the light and the darkness when God shows up, but that the light absolutely overpowers the darkness and it's no match at all. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think that the universe in which we live is this tight battle between good and evil. It's nip and tunk. It's OU in Alabama. OU is the good one, by the way, in that analogy. But that's not the way the Scripture portrays it. The Scripture doesn't say that the universe is an equal balance between good and evil and it's nip and tuck. What the Scripture says is that when God's light shows up, it absolutely overpowers the darkness. It is no match. It is OU Florida International. That's what it says in the Greek. The Word is eternal. The Word is God. The Word is creator. The Word is life. The Word is the light of men. Who is this Word? Well, John doesn't keep us in suspense any longer. Verse 14, he tells us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who became flesh and dwelt among us? Who took on humanity and moved into our neighborhood? Who is the eternal God who showed up with the new release in Bethlehem? It's Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting in chapter 1 of John's gospel, again and again and again, um, he kind of builds up with this title of the Word. The Word was this, the Word was that, and all the excitement begins to build, um, almost like if you're at a concert or an event and there's a, a screen in front of a shadowed figure who is backlit, and they begin to introduce him, and they say, he is the eternal one, he's God, he's creator, he's life, he's the light of men, he is, and suddenly the screen drops, Jesus. That's what John does here. See, for 13 verses, he talks about the Word. After that, he just uses his proper name because the introduction is done. Jesus is the Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. He shows up. And when he does, he humbles himself to come to this earth and as he humbles himself to come to this earth, he still maintains his glory, just veils it inside of human flesh. It says in the second part of verse 14, John says, We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John was not just trying to use fancy words there. John was describing what he experienced. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Bruce preached on 
Jesus inviting three of his disciples up onto a mountain where he was transfigured before them, where the curtain was pulled back and the glory of God was revealed in Christ. Remember that? Mountain of Transfiguration is that story inside of Matthew's gospel. Well, who did Jesus invite to come up on the mountain with him? Peter and James and who else? John. See, when John said, we have seen his glory, he, he wasn't just offering some kind of idle thought. John's saying, I saw it. I, I have seen with my own eyes the glory of God dwelling among us. Jesus is the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. The glory of God veiled inside of Jesus' humanity. And he has come full of grace in truth, as verse 14 reminds us. And that should be no surprise to us, right? If Jesus is fully God, God is full of grace and truth, and he shows up among us. Friends, every Christmas we, we sing these words again and again. But the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. What are we saying when we sing that? What we're saying when we sing that is we're, we're saying that Jesus is not just another baby. He's not even just a special person. He's not somebody who accomplished a lot. He is the Son of God who has moved into our neighborhood and relates to us so that we might understand who God is and so that ultimately he might explain him to us. Verse 18 lets us know that in John 1. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, was at the Father's side, but Jesus has made him known. He's explained him to us. Friends, Jesus is God. And because he is God, he's eternal. Because he is God, he is the creator. He's the one that Paul wrote about in Colossians 1. He's the agency that created. He's the one who has pointed the way for us to have an abundant life, not to take it from us, but to give it to us in abundance not as we would define it, but as he would define it in relationship with him. Friends, this is who we have in Jesus. We have the Son of God who has, who has come to us. Not a, a new song released at Bethlehem, but the eternal Son of God released anew so that we might know him. Now that's significant because I think all too often we want to draw a, a distinction and a difference between God the Father and God the Son. We want to, to make some kind of a statement that would, that would say, God the Father is angry and bitter and frustrated with me and upset and wrathful and vengeful. We want to paint a picture of God who is like that, but we want to say that Jesus is the nice one. God is our Father. Jesus is our grandfather, right? I mean, he's the one who gives us the things that we want, or he's the one who's a little more kind to us. We want to draw some kind of a distinction, but what's interesting when I read John 1 is I'm reminded that there is no difference of opinion between the father and the son. There is not a difference in character between the father and the son. We have amazing solidarity between the two, so that when we see how Jesus treats us and acts towards us and what he has done for us, we see the very heart of God. Jesus has not to convince his father of anything. They are of one mind regarding us. The salvation they offer is secure. You know, it's interesting. This idea is spoken of, I believe, in, in Romans chapter 8. 
in a very powerful way in verses 31 through 33, where he says this, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I think it's a beautiful passage because it reminds us that there is no one who can get in the middle between God and us because Jesus is God. I don't know when the last time was you bought a vehicle, but when you bought a vehicle, if you bought it from a dealer, you have this moment where you go and you talk to someone who is like a salesperson, and that salesperson and you begin to negotiate and talk and haggle, and then at some point that salesperson will, will, will say what? Let me take the offer that I've just made you or that we have just talked about, and let me go take it to the person who's really in charge, and we'll see what they can do. Now, if you work in the auto industry, you can tell me afterwards what really happens when you leave that room. Um, but but here's, here's the thing. What is clearly communicated is that who I'm talking to is not the one who's really in charge. Somebody else is. They, my only hope is that they can convince them to give me whatever we've talked about. See, when it comes to us relating to the God of the universe, when Jesus says that we're okay, we're okay because he's God and he and the Father are of, are of one mind. There is no distinction. There's no division in that way. In their, in their personality, in their, in their thought process. They are together on this. No one can get between us and God. If Jesus says we're okay, we're okay. Because his blood has paid the penalty for our sins. Friends, that's what we see inside of John's Gospels. We see in the very beginning that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus. Now, A second thing that we need to see, though, is this. We get to see inside of this passage, this beautiful encouragement, that we can come in faith and adore Him. Again, this is the refrain that we sing over and over again inside of the song, O come all ye faithful. O come let us adore Him. O come let us adore Him. O come let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. This verse that we just read, these verses we just read, remind us of the opportunity we have to come in faith and adore Jesus. Because in verses 9 through 13, in the midst of this presentation of Jesus as the Son of God, the Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, in the midst of that picture is an invitation for us to respond to Him. Verse 9 says it this way, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In other words, when Jesus came, he came demonstrating his light to everyone. It was an invitation. It was an opportunity for humanity to respond to him. He did not come in a hidden way. He came in a public way, preserved in a book that is the most translated book in the entire world, preserved for us in the Spirit of God given to empower our understanding of it. Why? Because we are offered the opportunity to both know about the light of God revealed in Christ and to respond to it. Jesus came not just to be an asterisk inside of history, but to be the focal point, the decision point for each person who lives on this planet. How will we respond to him when his light shines upon us, knowing who he is, the eternal son of God who created all things, who offers life and light, When he shines, how will we respond? 
Well, there's two options to his revelation. The first option, sadly, is that we would reject him. Now, we see this very clearly in verses 10 and following. It says here, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is a historical reminder. You know, John wrote this just a few decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. And what John is describing here is what actually happened, what actually transpired when Jesus came to the earth. See, Jesus came to the earth and his own people, the Jewish people, so many of them rejected him. They said, we don't, we don't want you. We don't want what you're offering. You're not doing it the way that we want it done. And for whatever reason, they, they rejected him as their Messiah or their Savior. They said, we're going to keep doing it our own way. John knew that there were many in the first century who responded that way, and sadly, that response is echoed inside of the rest of history. As year after year, generation after generation, there are people who look at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who created us, the one who offers us life, the one who offered his life on the cross as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins, the one who is resurrected from the grave and who offers us eternity, people will look at him and say, I don't want him. I reject him. If that's the case, there's consequences. And the consequence of rejecting Jesus is that we are separated from God forever. That's one possibility. That's one option. Sadly, there are probably even some in this room who knowingly or maybe even just on the edge through your passive non-response, have, have rejected Jesus as the Son of God, the Word of the Father. One option is that we reject Him. There's consequences with that. But what's beautiful inside of this passage is not only do we see that there is some who will reject Him, but we also see that there's an opportunity for all to receive Him. Look at what it says there in verse 12. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's possible for us to, to respond to Jesus by receiving him. And we receive him not by completing a class or not by impressing him with our actions, but we receive him, it says here, by believing in him. See, when we look at Jesus and we say, you are the Son of God, you are the Word of the Father now in flesh appearing, you are the one who offered his life on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins, when you embrace that and believe that in faith, then what this passage lets us know is in that moment, guess what happens? You have become a child of God and a recipient of the blessings and the promises that only he can give you in Christ. Things like forgiveness and eternal life and hope everlasting. Friends, that's what the payoff is on the other side of this. If we embrace and believe, if we come in faith and adore Jesus, what happens is we have the opportunity to be the son, the daughter of God. And I love what he says in verse 13. He, he reminds us that that decision to, to receive him and to trust him, it's, it's not through the normal channels. He says it's you know, we become children of God who were born not of blood. In other words, we don't become a Christian because we were born into a Christian family. By God's grace, it works out that way sometimes, but that is not 
a requirement, even if your family worships a different God, even if your family worships no God at all, there's hope for you because it's not those born under the blood, nor of the will of the flesh. This isn't saying, hey, only those who are especially strong, only those who are especially smart can come to Jesus. No, it doesn't say that. It says it's not of the will of our flesh. It's also not of the will of man. In other words, nobody else can make this decision for you. I can't make a decision for David to come to Jesus. David had to make that decision on his own. So if it's not by my decision for you, if it's not by the strength of your willpower, if, if it's not by the family that you were born into, what is it of? It says, well, it's but of God. In other words, if God is so working in your heart today to give you faith, and you desire today to not reject Jesus, but to receive him and to believe in his name, that is a product of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And today, God is giving you a gift, not just for this season, but for all eternity, to receive and embrace life in Jesus Christ. For many of us in this room, that's a gift that we received a long time ago, but we remember it and we celebrate it even still now. But if you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that today would be the day that you go from rejecting him to receiving him and believing in his name and the blessings associated would be given to you in Christ. Oh, come, let us adore him. In faith, let us gather around and lift up his name. Let's do so in prayer now. Father, we uh, are so thankful as we, we pray and as we gather and look at your word. We're so thankful that we can be reminded that you are the living God. Father, we're thankful that, that you desired that we know you. And so you sent your son to move into our neighborhood, to live in our world, to, to take on flesh so that we might see in three dimensions who you are really like. And Father, as he came and as he revealed your character and identity to us, he also provided a way through his sacrifice on the cross for us to be forgiven and for us to have the hope of eternity. Father, that everyone who hears me now, that they would not be rejecting you as many have done in history, but Father, that today that you would be giving them faith, that they would be born of God, that they would be trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins as a gift that you would give them today, that they would receive the word of the Father now in flesh appearing, that they would adore you in faith, and that they might be your children. Father, give them that faith now. And allow all of us, the faith, to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.